are so happy you're joining us on our Brentwood Church podcast. To find out more about Brentwood, go to brentwoodchurch.org. During this episode, we hear a great message that we pray will lead you to a new and deeper level with Jesus Christ. So open up your Bible or Bible app and grab a notebook or simply listen along. Well, hey, good morning. My name's Nathan, and I am the teaching resident here at Brentwood Church, like Brett said, and I am so excited to be in week two of this series called Why I Don't Believe. We're, we're asking a really big question, and that's this. In, in a time in human history, like that video shows, where we have achieved so much, where we've learned so much, where we know so much, why would we chain ourselves to an idea as seemingly outdated as religious belief? And man, last week, Pastor John kicked off the series in, in an incredible way. And if, if you weren't here, you, you need to go back and catch up on that. Like Brett said, live.brentwoodchurch.org. Because last week, Pastor John said that when you ask the question, why don't you believe, the reason that someone will give you will usually fall into one of a couple of categories. The, the first is intellectual reasons. Hey, you know what? I don't... I don't understand that. The the second is philosophical reasons. Hey, you know what? I don't think that's true. And the third is personal reasons. I don't want to believe that. I don't want to live my life that way. And today, I'm really excited because we're going to be able to look at the intellectual, philosophical, and personal reasons why people say, you know what? I don't believe in the Bible. So, when I was growing up, my dad and I had a a Saturday morning tradition. And we would go downstairs, we'd turn on the TV, and we'd flip to the sci-fi channel. Now, in the the late 90s, the sci-fi channel hadn't turned into the WWE and Ghost Hunters channel that it is now, and it actually played science fiction. And on a Saturday morning, I knew that I was going to watch one of two programs. I was either going to watch Star Trek reruns with my dad, which was awesome, or they were going to play some sort of weird Japanese monster movie, which would be even better. In, In fact... Let me show you an example of what I grew up watching with my dad. Something's wrong. Anguirra shouldn't attack his friend, Godzilla. promise that's relevant to what I'm going to say. <laughs> so all of these movies essentially have the same plot. Okay. There's, there's a kid who's really annoying and he has like a, an older brother or an uncle or maybe his, his parents and that family finds or makes something of, of unusual power that a, a human villain wants to have for himself. And You really can't understand anything beyond that. In fact, sometimes just that concept is hard to grasp because the whole story is in Japanese that's then been poorly translated into English, so it's completely incomprehensible. But it it really doesn't matter that you can't understand the plot because all the, the humans just exist to set up the inevitable fight between two dudes in rubber monster suits in a city that's made out of cardboard boxes. 
And I remember my dad and I would be watching it, trying to figure out what in the world was going on. Or it's like, okay, so the kid made a robot that can fly, but now the robot's giant and it's fighting the giant lizard. Oh my gosh, I don't care about what just happened. This is awesome. But the thing is, my dad and I are not normal people. For, for most of you, you probably looked at that and you're like, what in the world is, is he showing? Like, you may be thinking of my dad and being like, wow, that's borderline child abuse. It wasn't. I loved it. Or, or maybe you're like, that is the longest 30 seconds of my life. That is so dumb. How could someone care that much about something that ridiculous? And I think some of you in this room feel the same way about the Bible. I think some of you look at the Bible the way most normal people would look at some sort of weird Japanese monster movie, where you're like, it's just, it's so absurd, it's so fantastical, it's so bizarre. Like, why in the world would someone care about it? You know, maybe maybe you look at it and you're like, the plot is completely incomprehensible. Like, I do not understand what the book is saying. It makes no sense at all. Or or maybe you look at it and and just like, I, I don't speak Japanese, but I know for a fact that what he said there was not, something's wrong. Like, I I just, I, there's no way that that was proper English translation. And maybe you look at the Bible and you say the same thing. Like, I don't read the languages that the Bible was originally written in, but I know that what I have here in English in my hand is not what, there's, something's off. Or maybe, maybe it's simpler for you. Maybe you just look at it and you go, the whole idea is absurd. Like, the, the whole concept of the Bible is ridiculous. It's fantastical. It's, it's bizarre. Like, you've, you've got floods and famine and plagues and fire, and some dude comes back from the dead and walks on water. And you look at it, and you're like, that's just about as believable as two dinosaurs fighting in the middle of Tokyo. And you're like, it's, it's ridiculous. And so when someone says, I believe in the Bible, you treat them the same way that you treat someone who says, I'm super into Godzilla movies. You're like... Cool, good talk. I gotta go. <laughs> or, or maybe you're, you're a, a little bit nicer about it. Maybe, maybe you just look at it and you do what my wife does when my dad and I start talking about these movies. She goes, hey, I love you. And I am so happy that you have found something that makes you this happy. But can you talk about this to anyone other than me? And maybe that's the way you feel when people talk about believing in the Bible. You're like, hey, you know what? You do you. I'm glad it works for you. Don't, let's just, let's, don't talk to me about it. And that, but if, if what you believe about the Bible is true, that it's old, that it's outdated, that it's, it's broken, it's incomprehensible, it's corrupted, it's garbled, whatever. If that's true, that presents a problem for those of us in this room who do believe in the Bible. Because the Bible is the cornerstone of our faith, one of the cornerstones of our faith. The the cornerstone of our faith is Jesus and his resurrection, but the only way we can know about Jesus and his resurrection is through the Bible. So if the Bible is broken, if the Bible is unreliable, then those of us sitting in this room who believe in it have huge problems. And here's the thing, the the church has not done a good job of responding to this, honestly. Honestly. The church hasn't, because a lot of the times when questions like this come up, how can we know that the Bible is true? You hear something like, well, you just got to believe. Just have more faith. Well, we'll just hand wave it away. You know, the Bible says it's the word of God, so it's the word of God. Don't question the word of God. Or, or maybe they put a verse up on the screen that, that talks about what the Bible is. But here's, here's the problem with that. You can't use the Bible to prove the Bible. It's a circular argument. 
And, and I mean, I, I believe in the Bible. And when I hear people say in the whole, like, you just got to have faith. You, you just got to believe. Like, it, don't question the word of God. Like, I get angry. Because there's, there's got to be something more than that if I'm going to stake my life on this. So, here's, I want to talk to two groups of people before we really dive, dive into the content today. I think some of you, as I'm saying this, are like, why are we wasting a Sunday talking about this? You, you believe and follow Jesus. And so as I'm sitting here talking about why you should believe in the Bible, you're like, I already do. Well, why, why are you talking to me? Honestly, I'm not. See, most Sundays, like Pastor John said last week, we talk to people who believe and follow Jesus and invite people who don't to listen and learn and, and maybe hear something that, that will cause them to think a little differently. Well, in this series, we're reversing that. We're talking primarily to people who don't believe and follow Jesus and inviting those of you who do to listen and learn what other people believe and maybe think differently about what you believe. So my, while I'm not directly trying to convince you to believe in the Bible, because you already do, my hope is that at the end of this, you'll say, okay, my reasons for believing the Bible are a little bit better now. Now, if you're here and you don't believe and follow Jesus, first of all, I want to say thank you so much for coming here. I realize that it's a big step to come sit in a room full of people who believe something different than you and listen to them talk. And I want to say thank you for trusting us enough to, to come here, as awkward as it may feel. And I really hope that while you're here, you, you may have some of your questions answered. And, and this isn't intended to, to ram our views down your throat. We want to start a conversation and, and have a dialogue about what's, what we believe about the Bible. Now, here's the thing. If you haven't noticed, the Bible is a really, really big book. I could talk for hours and hours and hours about the Bible, but you guys really don't want me to do that. In fact, I have a clock right down here that's counting down from 40 minutes, and I've already used nine of them, so I need to keep talk faster. But I don't have time to answer every single objection to the Bible in 40 minutes. I just don't. But I don't want it to seem like we're copping out, like we're avoiding hard questions, like, oh, he's just setting up straw men and knocking him down. So here's, here's what we have. We've set up an email, questions at brentwoodchurch.org. This email is one that you can ask your questions to. If, when I say something and you're like, man, I wish you would have gone into more detail about this. Or if there's something that I don't mention where you're like, well, but what about this issue with the Bible? Send us an email. We, we want to talk with you. We want to help answer your questions in this. So with all of that out of the way, let's dive into our content today about the Bible. So if you were to ask a group of random people on the street, why don't you believe in the Bible? Their answers would fall into one of three categories. And the first is, the Bible's old and unreliable. We've, we've been talking about this. Like, the Bible is just a 6,000-year-old game of telephone. It's been copied and translated and recopied so many times, we can't actually be sure that what it has is the original message. So there's no reason to believe it. The second is the Bible's incompatible with modern society. It's 21st century America, and this book was written to a bunch of people who lived in the desert. Like, why, why would we structure our lives around this 6,000-year-old version of morality that talks about you can't be gay and oppresses women? Like, it, it just doesn't work with what we know to be true in society today. And then the, the last reason is I don't believe the Bible is inspired by God. I don't. Like, it's... It may be historically reliable. It may have some really good stuff about, you know, how to love your neighbor. It may have some good teachings. You, you may even say, I'll accept that, that some of its teachings are compatible with modern society. But at the end of the day, you look at it and you say, it's just, it's just a book written by people. There's no way this is a, a sacred text that's written by God. 
And what's, what's interesting is you, you look at this, and like we said earlier, this is a, an intellectual problem. I, I, don't, I don't know. This is a, a philosophical problem. I don't, I don't believe. And this is a, a personal response. Hey, I don't, I don't want to live my life that way. And so I want to look at each of these reasons and, and respond to them and dialogue about them. And so let's, let's start with number one. The Bible is old and reliable. Like we said, it's, it's a 6,000-year-old game of telephone. How can we actually know what's in the Bible? How can we know that the message is true? There's, we don't have the original copies, so there's no way that we can actually be sure that we have the message the original authors intended us to have, right? Well, the U.S. Constitution says no. And I, I know what some of you are doing. You're like, oh boy, this is where it gets weird. Like, this, this is going to turn into some sort of God, guns, and country sermon. It's not, I promise, okay? I'm not going to get political. I'm not going to draw any lines. But the reality is, while this document is not ancient, this was written before any of us in this room were alive. And it governs a substantial portion of our day-to-day lives because we live in America, and while it's, it's not a perfect illustration, I want to draw some parallels between the way we think about this and the way we think about the Bible to help us illustrate and maybe see that some of the things we say about the Bible may, may not really be accurate or consistent. So it's not a perfect illustration because all illustrations break down. I'm not saying, like, God created this or the but you, you know what I'm saying. But the, the first question I want to ask is, how do I know that this is the Constitution? I, I, I bought this off Amazon. How do I know that the guy didn't write, we the people, and then everything else is like his grocery list? How, how, do, I, how do I know that the, the words on this page are the words on the page of the Constitution in Washington, D.C.? Well, it's, it's a simple answer, right? I can take this through security at the National Archives, and I can stand in front of the case with the Constitution in it, and I can compare words. I'll get weird looks from the security guards, but I can, I can double-check this to make sure that the words on this page are accurate, so I can say, yes, this is the Constitution. Well, but hypothetically, what if the original copy of the Constitution didn't exist? What if tomorrow the National Archives burned down and the Constitution burned with it? Could I still know that those words are the actual words of the Constitution? Once again, yes, absolutely. Why? Because we have copies of the Constitution everywhere. Like, I can flip open a U.S. history textbook, and I'll find a copy of the Constitution in there. They give out the little paper ones on the 4th of July. We, we carved it into the side of some buildings. Or I can get on Google, and I can Google U.S. Constitution, and I'll find thousands of hits. So even though I don't have the original document, I can still say, you know what? I'm going to compare all the different copies, and I can say, yeah, all, all of these are, like, this is an actual copy of the Constitution. What if, what if some of those copies were, were missing or destroyed, though? Like, if, if I were to put ten copies of the Constitution out on a table, and I were to rip a couple pages out of one and spill coffee on another and, and maybe make some changes to the text of another one, could, could I still, using only those copies, be certain that this is accurate? Yeah, absolutely. I can, I can take all my different copies and I can compare the two of them. Like, if, if Article 1 is missing in this copy and the Bill of Rights is missing in that one, I still have eight other copies that have the Bill of Rights in Article 1. And I can, I can assemble an original document from all these different copies, even if they're damaged or destroyed. Right? Ancient historians do this all the time. And the other thing is that the more documents I have, the easier my job gets. 
If I only have two copies of the Constitution and they're both missing the Bill of Rights, I'm out of luck. But if I have ten copies and two of them are missing the Bill of Rights, I'm fine. So the more documents we have, the more certain we can be that we have what the original authors intended, that we have an, an original document. Like I said, this is a basic historical task. Ancient historians do this all the time with all kinds of different texts. And the Bible is no different. See, the way that we can be sure that the Bible is accurate, that it's historically valid, is by comparing old texts to new ones. If I have a printed Bible in my hand, I can compare the manuscript copies to the ancient ones that we found and literally go back and forth and say they say the same thing. Or they don't say the same thing. This is how we assembled our modern English Bible. It was actually assembled out of a Greek translation where they did the same thing. They they took all these different Greek manuscripts, put them together, and said, yeah, this one is missing some parts, and this one is missing some other parts, but I can combine the two and get an original. And the more manuscripts we have, the more confident we can be that we're pretty close to the original document. And the cool thing is this process makes the Bible really, really resistant to change. Because if I take the Gospel of Matthew and I decide that I want the Beatitudes to say, blessed are the cheesemakers instead of blessed are the peacemakers, then that one copy is going to show up when they compare it to a bunch of other ones, and they're going to say, that one's wrong. So this, this process of compiling manuscripts and assembling original documents makes the Bible very, very resistant to change and makes us be able to say that we're very, very confident that the Bible is historically accurate and is, is the, the, the message we have is what the original authors intended. But remember I said our job gets easier the more manuscripts we have. Well, so, so how easy is our job? And we get more confident the more manuscripts we have. So how confident are we in the Bible? I want to put something up on the screen. Rule number one of preaching is to never put a diagram up on the screen. So what this is doing, because this, this looks like some sort of solar system, but this is a diagram that's comparing the reliability of the New Testament to other ancient texts. So you may recognize some of these names from your ancient philosophy or ancient history courses, like Herodotus, who's our source of information about the ancient Greeks, Plato, who you heard about in philosophy class, Homer, who wrote the Iliad and the Odyssey, or Aristotle or Caesar. Let me, let me break this diagram down, okay? This center point is the event. The event being when the author took their pen and their paper and said, I'm going to write this down, Okay? This line tracks how long it is between the original manuscript, that that event, and our oldest surviving copy. The longer the line, the more time between event and first surviving copy. Okay? The more time between the two of those, the more likely it is that translation errors or copy errors have crept into the manuscript, the harder it is for us to be confident and say, this is accurate. This is historically accurate. It hasn't been altered in any way. These yellow circles are how many manuscript copies we have. Remember, the more manuscripts we have, the more confident we can be that our document is accurate. So look right here. Look at Plato. Okay? So our first surviving manuscript from Plato is 1,400 years after Plato first started writing. 1,400 years, almost a millennia and a half. And we only have seven surviving manuscripts of what Plato wrote. But here's the thing. When you went to your Western philosophy class, right before you fell asleep, did your professor say, hey, you know what? We really don't have enough manuscript evidence for Plato. We can't really be confident that that what he wrote is historically accurate. So we're not going to talk about him. You'll get an A on that part of the test. No, no. They, They said, hey, we have to do some historical work. We have to 
dig in and, and compare manuscripts and try to assemble an original document. But we can still be pretty confident that Plato wrote what we have. Let's go back to this diagram. This basketball-looking thing that is all the way on this side of the screen, this is the New Testament. This line, notice how short it is compared to all of the other ones. Our earliest New Testament manuscripts are from within 70 years of the original copies. With, with Plato, we're dealing with copies of copies of copies of copies of copies. With most New Testament manuscripts, we're dealing with copies of copies. Or maybe copies of copies of copies. So we're able to get really, really close to the event. We're able to, to say with a high degree of certainty that people haven't crept in and inflated things or, or made things mythological or, or embellished things because we're so close to the original writings. And we have 24,000 existing New Testament manuscripts. We find new New Testament manuscripts every year. That number keeps growing. And remember, the more manuscripts we have, the more confident we can be in our reconstruction. Here's, here's the bottom line that this diagram tells us, okay? The Bible is historically reliable and accurately records what the authors experienced and believed. I'll be totally honest. If you are dismissing the Bible, if you say, I don't believe in the Bible because it's all made up, it's not historically reliable, you are picking the weakest argument against the Bible. The, the Bible is the best attested document in ancient history, period. But I can hear what some of you are saying. The Bible is historically reliable and accurately records what its authors experienced and believed. How do we know that what they experienced and believed is accurate? Because I, I can experience things and I can believe things, but it can still be wrong. That doesn't mean that what they experienced and believed is in any way relevant to today. Because when we talk about the Bible, we're not necessarily talking about events. We're talking about what events mean. And you can very easily say that all of the events that the, the authors of the Bible saw and experienced are irrelevant. They don't mean what they say they mean. Jesus was just a carpenter who got killed for shooting his mouth off in Rome. Or what the Bible says is Jesus was the Son of God. You, you can land on either side of that. And I, 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 can, I know what you guys are saying right now. You're saying, that's great. That's awesome that the Bible is historically reliable. Cool. Didn't know that. It's still irrelevant to me as a 21st century American. It is still absolutely irrelevant to me and my life. In fact, it's more than irrelevant. It's incompatible with it. And, and as evidence for that, you'd cite, you know, what the Bible says about homosexuality. You'd cite what the Bible says about gender. You'd cite what the Bible says about sex or creation. You, you, can, you can give a list of objections to the Bible and say, you know what? This means that it's not just irrelevant, it's incompatible with 21st century life. And those are all really good objections. And some of them the church doesn't have good answers for, and we're, we're working through that. And I would love to stand up here and address every single objection, but that clock still counts down. And the reality is each of those objections is not just a really good sermon, it's a really good sermon series. I could talk for five to eight weeks on any of those. None of you would show up because it would be really boring. But I would love to be able to go into that detail. I just don't have the time. So please don't hear me copping out or refusing to answer tough questions. What I'm going to do instead is questions at brentwoodchurch.org. Send those tough questions to us. We want to answer them, just not from the stage. But I want to go back to that, that overarching objection that the Bible is incompatible with modern society. 
And I, I want to look at this not on the basis of individual objections like I just listed off. I want to look at this big picture at the macro level. Is the Bible compatible with 21st century life? And, and to do that, I want to come back to our illustration of the Constitution. Because the reality is what makes the Constitution special to most Americans is not the fact that it's a historically reliable document. What makes the Constitution special is the way of life it creates. See, uh, Americans don't look at this and and see a document full of rules and and regulations. Like, I would challenge you, name a rule in the Constitution. I, I can't. But all of us know, like, this is what sets up this way of life, this society, this country that most of us want to be a part of, that most of us find compelling, that most of us say, you know what, this is a better way of living than anything else I've experienced. Regardless of where you stand on the political spectrum, most of us will say, you know what, this story that the the Constitution is telling, the story of the people of America is one that I want to be a part of. And it's, it's the same thing with the Bible. But here's the thing. You can Google electoral college and realize that there's disagreement about parts of this document, right? Like, there are parts of this document that we as a country are having a discussion about. How, how is this still relevant? How is this still compatible with modern society? And I'm not going to take sides on the issue, but, you know, Google it and you can see that this is a conversation we're having. Where we, we look at the, the electoral college, what the document says, and we say, okay, this is what it says. This is our experience in 21st century America. How do we bring the two together? Like, what's, what's the, the best way to make this work? And there's a lot of different discussion on what the best way to make this work is. But what's interesting is you don't see people saying, well, here's what the document says. Here's our experience. We can't bring the two together, so let's just throw out the entire document. Let's, let's just completely get rid of the Constitution and start over. No, most people aren't saying that. Why? Why? Because they're, they're looking at this and they're saying, let's not throw the baby out with the bathwater. What are they doing? They're looking at the big picture. And we have to do the same thing when we evaluate the Bible. If you don't believe in the Bible, look at the big picture rather than the nuts and bolts. Because a lot of the times we we do this with the Bible where we say, okay, here's what the Bible says about gay people. Here's my experience. And instead of looking at the two of them and saying, okay, let's Let's see where this works out. Let's, let's live in the tension and ask these hard questions. What happens? We throw out one or the other. And we, we throw the baby out with the bathwater. And the reason why people aren't throwing out the Constitution because of the Electoral College is because they see the big picture and they say, yes, there are some things I disagree with. There are some things that are hard. There are some things that are uncomfortable. But big picture, this is something that I want to be a part of. This is a story that I find compelling. This is a story that, that I want to be involved in. This is a way of life that I want to live. But when we look at the Bible, we, we don't do that. We don't look at the big picture. We, we reduce the Bible to a list of rules, and we say, you know what? Here are all these rules that I don't want to follow, rules about how I spend my money, what I spend my time on, who I can sleep with, just the, the whole nine yards, and we say, I don't want anything to do with those rules. But just like the Constitution isn't, at its core, a set of rules. Yeah, it's got rules in it, but those rules describe this way of life. They set the the boundaries for this way of life that is being an American. 
the Bible isn't about rules we have to follow. It's about how to live as citizens of God's kingdom. See, the the Constitution sets up a list of rules. Here's how you have an election. Here's what the Senate and the President and the judiciary can do. But what those rules are doing is creating a way of life, creating a a society that, that our founders said is better than any other way of doing it. And the Bible is saying exactly the same thing. Yes, there are rules. Yes, the Bible says if you are a citizen of God's kingdom, you will live in this way because it creates, living in that way creates a society that is a better way than anything else. But a lot of the times we evaluate the Bible not on the basis of the society it creates, but just on the basis of the rules and the hard parts and the tension. And so here's, here's my encouragement to you. If you don't believe in the Bible, evaluate it on the basis of its main story. Don't evaluate it on the basis of, of the nuts and bolts and the technicalities. Evaluate it on the basis of the big story that it's telling, on the society that it's creating. Because honestly, if, if you get up there and you say, hey, you know what, I don't, I don't believe in the Bible because I don't like the way it talks about gay people, That's kind of the equivalent of saying, I don't want to live in America because I don't believe in direct election of senators. Like, okay, that's that's your belief. You're welcome to have it. But most of us would look at that and say, you're kind of missing the big picture. Like, don't evaluate the Constitution on the way it holds an election. Evaluate the Constitution on the country it creates. Don't evaluate the Bible on the rules it tells you about your life. Evaluate the Bible on the way of life it creates, on the society it creates, on the story it's telling. Which begs the question, what is the Bible's main story? And I want to take you to a a chapter in Acts, Acts chapter 17, where the Apostle Paul has a chance to tell the main story of the Bible. The Apostle Paul gets up in front of a bunch of people in Greece who don't believe and follow Jesus, and he says, let me tell you what God is doing. And here's what he says. He says, he, God, is the God who made the world and everything in it. He is the Lord of heaven and earth. Since he is the Lord of heaven and earth, he doesn't live in man-made temples, and human hands can't serve his needs, for he has no needs. He himself gives life. He, he is the God who made the world and everything in it. Since he is the Lord of heaven and earth, he doesn't live in man-made temples. And human hands can't serve his needs, for he has no needs. I'm reading the same verse again. <laughs> uh, he himself gives life and breath to everything, and he satisfies every need. There we go. From one man, he created all the nations throughout the whole earth. He decided beforehand when they should rise and fall, and he determined their boundaries. His purpose was for the nations to seek after God and perhaps find their way towards him. From, though he is not far from any one of us, for in him we live and move and have our being. As some of your poets have said, we are his offspring. And since this is true, we shouldn't think of God as an idol designed by craftsmen from gold or silver or stone. God overlooked people's ignorance in previous times, but now he commands everyone everywhere to repent of their sins and turn to him. For he has set a day for judging the world with justice by the man, that's Jesus, he has appointed. 
And he proved to everyone who this is by raising him from the dead. Right there in one chunk of scripture, Paul lays out the Bible's main story. And I want to I unpack that for you really quickly. What is Paul saying here? What is the main story of the Bible? And it's this. The, the first is, God created the world and humanity to worship him. God, God created us. We are his creations. And we were designed, we were made to worship him. And when the Bible says worship, they mean live in a relationship with God. But, we decided we didn't want to do that. We decided that instead of worshiping God, we wanted to worship something else, anything else, anything created. And when we did that, we broke the world. Our, the Bible calls that worship of something else sin. That sin is a rebellion against God. When we said, I don't want to worship you, we rejected God and we cut ourselves off from the source of life. And evil and death entered the world because of our sin and our rebellion. But God wasn't willing to leave us in the mess we created for ourselves. And he sent Jesus to rescue creation, and us included in creation, from sin, death, and evil. And he did that by sending his son to die on a cross and take the punishment for our sins. And God authenticated this message. God said that Jesus really was the solution to the problem of sin, death, and evil by raising him from the dead three days after he died, defeating the power of evil once and for all. And now Jesus is king over all creation. And anyone who will believe and follow him is a citizen of his kingdom and receives the benefits of citizenship in that kingdom, which is a restoration to the relationship that we were originally created to have with God. That is the story the Bible is telling. That is the story that the Bible invites you to be a part of. And so the question you have to ask if you don't believe in the Bible is not, am I okay with what the Bible says about sex or what the Bible says about creation? or what the Bible says about gender. You have to ask yourself, is the story the Bible tells a story I want to be a part of? Is this a compelling story to me? Is this a better way of living than what I've experienced in the past, than the way that I am now? Is this a story I want to be a part of? And here's the thing. I can't answer that question for you. I can't argue you into deciding that you want to, to be a part of that story. Because at the end of the day, this is where it gets personal. This, this is where you say it, it's personal. You, you may accept that the Bible is historically reliable. You, you may even realize that, yeah, you know, it, it is compatible with, with the way I live my life today, with, with 21st century thought. But at the end of the day, that's not a story I want to be a part of. I don't want to live my life that way. But you are sitting in a room surrounded by people that have said, that's a story that I find compelling. That's a story I want to be a part of. And by entering into that story, their lives have been transformed and they have found a better way of living, a better way of being human, than anything else in this world? And that's the question you have to ask. 
And I get it. This isn't something that you make in a snap decision. We've talked about a lot of content today. And so I I don't want you to feel pressured into, oh my gosh, I got to make a decision right now. No. But we want to help you go on that journey because that's what it is. It's a journey. It's a journey of asking questions, of looking at the Bible, of, of talking with people who do believe in the Bible and saying, okay, is this a story I want to be a part of? And so to, to wrap this up, I want to give you just some really quick practical ways that you can keep taking steps on this journey, that you can begin to answer this question. Does the story the Bible tell, is the story the Bible tells a story I want to be a part of? And I, I want to give you a, a couple of ways to do that. The first is, some of you guys have really strong opinions about the Bible, but you've never actually read it. You, you've heard that the Bible is a, a book full of sexism and hatred and misogyny and xenophobia and, and whatever, whatever else you want to say. But that opinion has come from other people telling you that rather than you actually reading the Bible. Or, or maybe you've just gone through and, and cherry-picked a couple of verses that you've seen on, on protest signs at funerals. Today, you, you actually need to read the Bible. Pick it up and read it. Like, take it up and read it and make a decision for yourself. Don't let somebody on the atheism subreddit give you your opinion on the Bible. Form it yourself. And we want to help you do that. We're, we're going to put a, a reading plan up on our social media and up on our website at brentwoodchurch.org slash why tomorrow. And it's a reading plan that walks you through the main story of the Bible. Man, pick it up. Read it. And when you read it, keep asking questions. I want to let you know this is not a place where you have to believe and talk and act like everyone else does. This is a place where it's okay to say, you know what, I've got questions. This doesn't make sense. I think you're all crazy. Explain this to me. That's what we're here for. And so don't feel like you have to hide your questions. I'm going to put it up for for the third time in 40 minutes. Questions at BrentwoodChurch.org. Email us. We want to answer those questions that you have. Because I know I haven't been able to cover everything in 40 minutes. But we want to help you take this journey of figuring out if the story the Bible tells is one you want to be a part of. Thanks so much for listening today. We believe that everyone has a next step towards Jesus, and we'd love to help you take yours. Email us at hello at brentwoodchurch.org or visit our website, brentwoodchurch.org slash next steps. Until next time, go change the world.